0: Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstell, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now, on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. And today, my guest and debut is an expert on a topic that every single one of us experience multiple times in our lifetime, and that's grief. But I would call her a purveyor of hope. Her podcast, Let's Talk About Grief, was launched in 2018 when she discovered that people's view of death and grief was negative and held little hope. As a retired nurse, Anne coaches individuals to move from hopeless to hopeful. She has studied well-being psychology at Yale and positive psychology at Penn State. It is so easy to lose ourselves in grief, to feel like the heaviness will never lift. Anne helps people make the shift along the path of grieving without getting lost. We have so much to talk about today, Anne, so welcome to the show.
1: Oh, Karen, thank you so much for inviting me. This is truly an honor and something I don't get to do very often to talk about my passion. So thank you so much.
0: Well, you know, your passion, it's such a blessing that it's your passion because everyone, whether they know it or not, or want to admit it or not, need to have, you know, some expertise around them these days to help them deal with these parts of life that are the hard paths to walk and i think probably in our more you know community oriented tribal oriented world you know generations ago we had people around us who had walked the path and were there to help
1: us and um, be with us at least and today we're a lot more alone don't you think Oh my goodness, are we ever, and even more so under the COVID restrictions. So many people are really getting lost because they just don't know what to do with it. It's huge, isn't it, Karen? The turmoil and the emotional tsunami that sort of hits you as you go about your daily business.
0: Right, right. And, you know, we can talk about the ultimate grief, which is the loss of someone really close to us. But in this past year, grief overtook every one of us as we watched a lifestyle and a set of expectations and plans for the future and all of the things that we had that we took for granted maybe as part of our daily life sort of overnight come to a screeching halt. And there was a lot of grief involved in that.
1: Yeah, Karen, I don't know if you've noticed. I don't think people have recognized that they need to pause and sit with those feelings. It's great that a lot of the distractions aren't available, but they're starting to come online. People have found other ways to distract themselves rather than just sitting with their feelings and getting curious. And I think that was my problem, if I'm honest, Karen. When I look back at my life, it had been a series of loss after loss, some small, some big, but they were losses. And I thought changing continents, leaving my family and friends behind in the UK and coming over to Canada, I'd leave it all behind, but it doesn't work that way. So for me, grief is very patient. Grief will wait for an opportunity. Grief will Sit there patiently. And I think that's what happened to me with the death of my dad. I hadn't had any role models in that. We didn't talk about death in the family. Death and cancer were taboo. We knew as children, we just don't bring that up. So I took that very hard. And I believe it was compounded because all those other losses that I hadn't grieved or taken time to even sit and understand. They took that opportunity. So my only hope is that people will pause and inquire, well, why am I feeling anxious? What is this fear about? Because yes, overnight, we went from familiar to unfamiliar. And our stress levels were through the roof because it's the familiar that helps to anchor us and keep us safe. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely.
0: Oh, I love what you said about grief being patient because it's true. It's a little bit like, (laughs) I call it metabolizing grief Mm. when we need to kind of like, I wouldn't say confront it, but we need to integrate it into our life because it does have a role in shaping and changing us and strengthening us. It's not always the most pleasant thing, but definitely doing that in a community or doing that with someone is super helpful. And it does... We can get lost in it, I think, as you point out. And if we don't allow it to metabolize, it just sort of sits there and then kind of blows up all over life in unexpected places. And that's something we do want to try to avoid, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to have what happened to me. It totally took me out. And having a nursing background, I wasn't scared of death per se. I was quite comfortable around it. But it was the emotional component that they did not teach us in nursing school. We handed that over to the chaplains. We knew what to say immediately to the family, but... The spiritual, the grieving part was totally out of our hands. So when I was confronted with all these emotions that I didn't know what to do with, Karen, I would be angry one moment, sad and in tears and desperate, wondering what was going on. I'd go upstairs for something and I couldn't remember what it was. And I really had to take time off work because I just wasn't functioning in the regular world. And that really bothered me because I was efficient, I was effective in my job, I was the go-to person, misorganization, you know, you name it, I wore that hat. And here was me not even being able to consider organizing Christmas dinner for the family, which was something I had done for eons.
0: and Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so let's go back. I would love for us to go back and kind of use your example. This, I think, is part of what propelled you into becoming a grief coach, which is a very interesting niche to be in. And I would love to hear more about what happened your death of your father, the impact that that had on you in the immediate term, but what was it that happened over an extended period of time, right?
1: You had kind of complicated grief, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Well, dad died suddenly. And when you're in your 80s, that's a good life, but there's no good time to lose a parent. All of a sudden, we're sort of all catapulted into childhood. What am I going to do without my dad, you know, the person that's always been there for me? So there was sort of the shock of that happening. And within the first hour of me leaving work, I worked in a hospital, going from one end of town to the other. I shouldn't have been driving because already my brain was shutting down. I couldn't figure out how to drive from there out to another hospital in our area. And it was one I knew so well. It was round the corner from my parents. So my detour around the city cost me time that may have had me at the bedside of my dad before he died. And I got there, ushered into the quiet room. Knowing, having the nursing knowledge, I knew that the quiet room that was not a good place. I thought we would be taken to where where Dad was, but no. And within about five, ten minutes of me being there, the doctor came in and had then told us that Dad had died. So immediately, I could have gone into the guilt and blamed myself for not getting there sooner. When I opened my mouth to say that to mom, she told me, don't you even think about it. You're here now. Let's move on with that. Mm -hmm. Mom was more stoic. I swear they don't build us to be that, that stoic or resilient. And then it was leaving the hospital It totally blew me away to realize the sun was shining, the traffic was still moving on the highway, people were laughing, people were going about their daily activities, and I just felt this (laughs) urge to scream out, stop, don't you know my dad just died? If it would have been alone, I may have, but Mum would have been mortified. So I looked at her, smiled and tucked her arm under mine and promptly marched to the car. I was then in those moments of organization. Mom was, this was not her thing. I immediately took over planning everything. And there was a number of things that will take too long on this call to go into. But Needless to say, four days to organize family coming from the UK, just getting things ready didn't allow me to be with my grief. So it was shelved until I could be.
0: You know, you talk about stoicism. (laughs) You talk about like how we shelve the grief. And the other thing I think that is so beautiful about what you just shared, and i you took me to this place of that moment where time feels suspended and you're just waiting to hear the news, the shattering news, whatever that might be, right? It could be the death of, of a family member. It could be so many different things. And you're in this sort of suspended, I don't know, sense of being before that shock wave just hits your body, Right. Yeah. And you describe that so beautifully. So thank you for sharing something so deeply personal with us.
1: Oh, you're so welcome, Karen. If it can help somebody else, then that's what I'm about.
0: Right, right. Well, what I want to point out too is everyone's experience is so different. And while your mom was very stoic, and maybe she felt she needed to be stoic for you or whatever everyone has different ways of responding and there isn't really a right and wrong way. It just is right in the moment. Absolutely. The question then is once we're all done with, we've had the shockwave, we've been body slammed, we're kind of getting through the first, you know, it's like being under a wet, heavy blanket. (laughs) (laughs) It was my experience, right? That you just trying to walk you know, get through life like, wait a minute, I'm waking up like today is like, life is completely different. Right. And we have to walk through this. And then it's what comes next. that's so interesting, because as that deep sadness or that next wave, the aftershock kind of comes through, Then do we go, go away, I don't have time for this, or do we step into it and go, ouch, welcome, I need to sit with this for a little while and feel what I'm feeling. I think that's the point at which some of us take a detour.
1: Oh, absolutely, because we don't want to be in the pain. Well, I did go back to work and discovered that I just wasn't functioning, so I did take some time off. And it was one of my bosses who called me periodically to just check up, which I thought was beautiful. Somebody cares, you know, that sort of feeling. And when I described what I was feeling, he just calmly said, Oh, it sounds like you have reactionary grief. And I went, Oh, you think that? Oh, absolutely, from what you're describing. And do you know, that gave me permission to be with what I was feeling, my reactionary depression, whatever that that was. Because if there was a name for it, it meant that others had had similar things. So I wasn't unique because I felt such a fraud having time off work. I should be back. At, you know, I should. I could. But I couldn't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is such a common reaction. Isn't it? This idea that was like, I should be back. It's full of shoulda, coulda, shoulda, coulda, I guess. I should be back at work. I should be able to function. I should not be so sad. I shouldn't be crying all the time. That's what we tell ourselves.
1: Absolutely. And that's where we need to give ourselves permission. Each loss that we have is totally different. I think with dad's loss... I was forced to grow up. I wasn't ready to become an adult in my 60s. (laughs) I kind of liked where I was in life because all of a sudden I had the responsibility of of my mum and my dad's estate. All of a sudden I was thrust into all this. So when you're attempting to be with your grief as I was, Because being a type A personality, I wanted to do grief perfectly. I wanted to get it right this time, Karen, which is hilarious. Because when I did seek help, the well meaning professional told me, Well, your grief will be what it'll be. Everybody's different. Okay, tick, get that. But then when he said, You never get over your grief, that was when my nursing knowledge kind of kicked in and I went, Well, that doesn't sound right. I've seen the body heal from some amazing traumatic accidents, and people have walked out whole out of the hospital when they weren't expected to even leave the hospital. So I was thinking, why wouldn't the broken heart heal? Well, yeah,
0: that's why I use the word metabolizing grief. Yes you know we are going to be changed by our grief to think that we'll go back and look at the world post covid which almost post covid please you know let's hope that that's the case yes because we'll never go back to where we were yeah right we will be navigating change mm-hmm. and someone pointed out to me one time and i think about this all the time now that after You know, the plague swept Europe and wiped out so many people. What came next was the Renaissance. Yes. Right? We could not go back to where we were before. And thank God for that. We have something else ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So letting grief do its work Mm-hmm. It's patient enough to wait for us forever.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. It will find a way, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so let it do
0: its work because there's something on the other side of it. And instead of being a deep crevasse, mm-hmm. right, that we feel like we might fall into and never stop falling, mm-hmm. it actually can be a bridge to something
1: more beautiful and life-affirming than we imagined. Absolutely. And what always pops into my mind is the quote that Lewis Carroll wrote in Alice in Wonderland as she's falling, I believe, down the hole. She says, I can't go back to yesterday because I'm changed. I'm not the same. And I think that was an amazing awareness that he must have had that change Does change you in ways and you can't go back. So, life I think is going to be different. Yeah.
0: So, let's talk a little bit about, you know, moving from these raw, very personal experiences that everybody has at some point. Yeah. To what does that take to extend, I guess, compassion to ourselves and compassion to others who may be grieving? Around us in the workplace. And the reason I bring that up, particularly in the context of work, it's maybe a metaphor for something larger, but it does seem like it's like, okay, we have things to do. We need to get focused. Let's focus on what's at hand. You need to put that aside, right? Mm -hmm. For a little while, as if we could, right? Let's put this aside now and let's just focus on the things we need to get done. And we also, I think, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this the idea that someone's grief isn't big enough. Like, someone's grief, there isn't a reason why someone should be grieving so much over a particular thing. You hear it all the
1: time. It's like, you should be over that by now. Exactly. And people aren't comfortable with somebody who's grieving, they may not be actively crying, but they just don't know how to talk to them because they Mm -hmm. don't want to upset them because that'll make them feel bad if they see somebody else crying. But it's absolutely okay to join somebody in their tears. And I've had many a conversation with uh, people who have said, well, I've lost a child. That person's just lost a dog.
0: Right, right, right. That's the comparison. That's yes. what I mean. Your grief's not big enough. Don't yeah.
1: compare because you do not know what that animal meant to that person. That animal could be their child. The woman right. may not have been able to conceive. Right. That person may have lost her husband and that dog is now her companion. And when the dog dies... She feels alone, abandoned, and all those other feelings. So we never know a person's loss. A grandma, grandpa, well, they were old. You knew it was coming. Don't be silly. That grandma may have been your go-to person. Your grandfather may have been the one that taught you all kinds of good things in life that you appreciate, and now you won't have that. A beloved aunt and uncle were there for whenever you needed to escape home because there was something going on and you needed to vent and they were a safe place. Or your best friend, that person knows you probably better than yourself. So whoever that person was to you is going to be dependent on your grief. The grief I had over my dad was a lot different than the grief I had for my mom. And you would think, well, You should have the same grief. But no, it was different. By the time Mum died it was anticipatory grief, so she'd been sick for four years before she died. So I walked that journey with her as the caregiver and watched her deteriorate into dementias. So there was a slow grief, these little losses. So when Mum died, it was a gentler grief. So Anybody seeing me would have thought, "Well, my goodness, look at the fuss you put up with when your dad died and look at you, you're carrying on as if nothing has happened. You do not know the journey that that person has walked and this is where we need to stop, no judgment, have compassion because that person's grief is meaningful to them and just listen to them. Yeah,
0: so no judgment. I heard that. Have compassion because I guess we don't know what their experience is that is giving them. Let's just accept that this is the experience that they're having. So the next tough spot is how to engage, right? You're at work, you know someone's had a loss. You know that it's been very difficult, but you don't know a lot of details. You want to offer some outreach and friendship and support, and people
1: don't do it. Why? Because they're uncomfortable with, they don't want to upset the person. They don't know what to say to them. And they're worried that if the person does break down and cry uncontrollably, they don't know what to do to sort of help them, instead of taking a deep breath, dropping from their head into their hearts and going up to that person and just saying, I heard about whatever, I'm here for you. If you'd like to have a cup of coffee or we can go to lunch, let's do it. Come to me if you're having any of those wobbly moments. Now, that's a lot. And if you do go for coffee or lunch and the person is having a wobbly moment, all you have to do is listen. No judgment, no fixing. They're not broken. They're just having an emotion burst, if you like. And it's the simplest thing just to be. And if it brings up you stuff in you cry too. You're joining with that person then in the emotion. Right. I, You know, you brought
0: up some super important stuff there. I think don't be a fixer. That's when we're stepping into a power dynamic, not a heart to heart. I love the idea. It's just like, I heard, I heard, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to say. You could say something like that, yeah because we don't know what to say. That's right. And say, let's go get a coffee or can I take you to a coffee?" Like I love that because then just sit there and be with them. The power of presence is immense. And connecting, it also, it drives connection as opposed to driving disconnection.
1: Absolutely. Because can you imagine that person has just come back and, yeah, in the first little while people will pop in and they'll be there for you, what have you. But after a week, they've gotten back on with their lives. Work is busy. We're there to work, aren't we? And it can be a very isolating time for people. And I can remember going to fetch my own coffee and actually seeing somebody, and they turned down another hallway. And I knew that they were avoiding me. So Mm -hmm. can you imagine what that does to a person? Well, I
0: do. I hear it all the time. Yes. But here's what I'll just say. We're kind of talking grief coach to grief coach (laughs) here.
1: But the thing
0: that I do tell people is, it's not about you, really it's about them. It's about their own fear and their own discomfort because, you know, we're not extending judgment towards the person who's grieving. And at the same time for the person who finds it extraordinarily uncomfortable to sit with their own feelings while they're with another person who's grieving, that's also something we can't really judge. We don't know, right? Very Mm -hmm. few people, including a lot of new chaplains, are terrified of stepping into somebody else's pain. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty understandable. Mm -hmm. I'd love to pivot just a tiny bit because I can almost hear in my head right now our audience who's listening to us going, but wait a minute, we haven't been together in the workplace for a year. And it does highlight something you mentioned at the very beginning that I think is so important is there have been so, so many losses, hundreds of thousands of people, have died in the pandemic. There's been loss of livelihoods. There's been loss of dreams. So many losses, right? Mm -hmm. Loss of connection to friends and family. And most of us are very isolated. So this idea of being able to have somebody to go have a coffee and sit with isn't even available. Mm -hmm. What advice do you bring to individuals who feel like All right. I see people on a screen all day long. I'm in my house by myself. I'm kind of afraid to go out. What do I do? Beautiful. Any any thoughts on that one? I know it's a tough one and I'm kind of catching you. I'm kind
1: of catching you by surprise with that one, but let's just chat about that a little bit. Absolutely. Well, reach out. All the grief coaches Grief counselors, grief therapists, the majority, yes, they're online. A lot of the support groups are online. I host a closed group on a Tuesday night online. And I give those people permission to close down what they were doing, what they will be doing after the two hours that they're going to be spending online again This is their time. This is their time to be with others that understand what they're going through. And those two hours, even though they've been online all day, they actually look forward to it because they're with people that understand their pain and what they're going through Family members can be great, but they're going through their own pain and they're going through their own journey. If you've got one good friend that you can reach out to and let them know what it is you need. I just need somebody to hear me babble on. Just be at the other end and just let me talk. These are just some of the suggestions that people on the the closed group have given to us as the facilitators. Being in nature is a very, very healing and taking along a journal because that's a way to be with your grief and as you say, Karen, to metabolize it. And there's nothing better than being in nature to do that. I was reading, the Japanese have got this forest bathing And they've done studies on it. And just being in a forest or being with plants and greenery, they're giving off some, I can't remember the name of the photo, whatever's they give off, but that actually helps us. It taps into our immune system. It helps our oxytocin and our dopamine, the feel-good hormones. So you can actually help to recharge your body just by being that. And our little group have reported that going for daily walks, bike rides, being in nature, journaling and meditating has really sort of helped them. And I think we think because we're alone, we're doomed, we're not. I think grief sometimes is a solitary thing. We need people, yes, but I think the hard work, as I call it, is being solitary, being isolated. So it's the perfect opportunity to really deal with all the grief that we're seeing. And if you're highly sensitive, you're probably picking up other people's emotions as well. And it's so important for us to be aware that we can do that. An almost clean house for those in the energy business they tell you to bubble up so that you're not taking on other people's emotions and I think workplace can really play a big role by leaders speaking about it and perhaps having a 15 minute or 30 minute lunch break and having a grief hour what's coming up for you It's probably coming up for the leaders as well. And my goodness, our leaders have got the biggest job on this planet, navigating productivity and navigating deadlines and clients and you name it, without having to deal with this. But it's the peer support and that connection joining together under a common topic can actually help somebody remain at work, be loyal to the workplace, and want to be there, as opposed to wanting to isolate and just cocoon and be at home because that's where they feel safe, because they don't feel work is a safe space for them.
0: I love the idea for leaders to create intentional time and space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's always a way for people to get perhaps through, you know, employee assistance or something where they, a leader doesn't have to be skilled necessarily as a counselor. They don't have to be skilled as a facilitator of somebody's grief. Mm -hmm. But I think it goes a very long way to normalize feelings that says, you know what, we just came through something unprecedented in modern times, so impactful, so many losses. It just, there were so many layers of of things that challenged all of us in the last 18 months and more. So, you know, people, there are going to be sensitive people in the workplace who are literally buffeted by these feelings of grief for the world. Absolutely. You know? Grief, not only just for their personal experience, but for losses that other people are feeling. And so I think having for leaders to be able to step in front of that and say, I am with you, me too, Mm -hmm. we're going to acknowledge this and not try to pretend that the workplace doesn't need to change in order to recognize our new reality, because it's a shared, it's a universally shared Reality And some people are more sensitive to it than others, but it's still, even if, you know, it's like, even if they're not sensitive to it, they're still affected by it. It's in the environment all around us. So taking the time and making the space to acknowledge that I think is huge.
1: Absolutely. They're addressing the elephant in the room. And it, I think by doing so, it's making them look more human. They're not robots.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, on this show, we're all about trying to create a better workplace, a more inclusive workplace from the inside out. That yes. there can't be anything more inside out than <laughs> <laughs> acknowledging the thing that we all carry with us, which is our grief of a variety of things
1: right now. Absolutely. And I think... Even reviewing your HR policies around bereavement and understanding that a lot of people during those first couple of months, their productivity will likely dip. You will get those that will throw themselves into work because they're avoiding their feelings. And sometimes they may not be the best ones to be on that most important project. I mean, I, I don't want to take projects because that gives you a sense of purpose. And only the leaders will know the person hopefully well enough. But to be able to say, let me put some help, because my understanding of grief is you can make mistakes because you're not 100% focused. It's nothing to do with you. It's just the fact that you're grieving. I know this happened to me, and I was mortified. But because my boss was so empathetic and compassionate, I was able to accept it better. And it was true. He pointed out that I could make mistakes. And just by doing that, I could see where i was making mistakes so it's i think the people grieving may not even recognize that they are not optimal they're not there's something that happens to our brains in grief that stops us from accessing the executive functioning part of our brain and i think if the workplace as well as the employee who's grieving, can understand that. Then they can put in some safety checks and balances. Can you just look over my work? I'm pretty certain it's okay, but will you just review it? Just something like that until you get back on your feet and you feel more confident because there's nothing worse than making those errors and having them pointed out in a team meeting that's going to destroy your confidence and I don't know about you Karen but I know my self-confidence took a big beating and it took a little while for me to feel comfortable and confident again after my loss
0: yeah I would expect different personality types are going to be different yeah I know (laughs) My confidence didn't take so much a beating, but my patience did. Yes. I had very little patience with myself and with others. Yeah. Right. And part of that, I think, was driven by my extreme frustration that I couldn't get myself to get my act together. Yes. And that, you know, it's like, what is, I I did keep asking the question, like, what is wrong with me and what do I have to do to get over this? (laughs) Yes. 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 (laughs) Right. And, you know, for me, Just as a cautionary tale, my unresolved grief, I had complicated grief from the death of my grandfather, who was the closest person to me when I was 11. And when I lost him, I had nowhere to go with it, right? 11-year-olds don't have a lot of good ways to grief. No. They don't know what's happening to them. And At any rate, I was in my 50s when I lost my mother, Mm. and that's when the whole thing blew up like that stuff that I had stuffed 40 years earlier, then really came, it found the crack, right? Yeah, And it was very debilitating. So there is a, such a thing as, you know, this long-term complicated grief. And I guess I would just say for anyone out there who's listening, and there can't be a single person who listens to the show who doesn't know what we're talking about, when we talk about the emotions of grief and how that can really derail you, but grief requires its due, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You mentioned this. It's very patient and it will wait for it, just as you've
1: explained, haven't you, yes, we'll wait <laughs> 15
0: Years, if necessary right? And then you will have to contend with it. And the good news is, here's the good news. I mean, I I can just see a a leader in an organization going, we're setting aside some time today to do our group grief. And everybody's like, oh my God, this sounds terrifying. I'm not going. But the truth of it is, is that if we can find a way to step into the space Whether we do it personally or in a very intimate setting with another, with a close friend or trusted advisor, or whether we do it in community, Mm. stepping into that space that says, I'm going to let this, this is like knocking some of the rough edges off of the gem. This is going to come out more brilliant, more beautiful, better than before more valuable. I guess the best example I can think of visually is Kintsugi, you know, where the Japanese use this shattered pot and they put the pieces back yes. together with seeds of gold. Yes. That's what the process of grief when it's done looks like.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful analogy. Yes. We are all going to wear those gold pieces around our heart, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, your shattered heart, it's put together with seams of gold. And making space for it, whether we make space for it at home or make space for it in our personal busy lives, or whether leaders acknowledge that this is a big deal and make space for it in the time and space of work, We all have a big job to do ahead of us, and I'm so grateful for you and that you're one of those people brave enough and with the skill set to be a navigator Mm. for other people. Could you tell us a little bit about how people can get in touch with you if they want to find out
1: more? Absolutely. They can go to my website called Understanding Grief, and they can read all about grief coaching because it's a relatively new area people wouldn't imagine that they need coaching through grief but as you've mentioned the only way to get to the other side is literally to go through and that's as you mentioned as well you coach people as well to be able to you give them the support to go through it so they're not doing it alone and you're almost like a guide So grief coaching can guide you from where you are now to where you want to be in the future. That's what grief coaching is. And if people want to get hold of me, it's Anne with an E at understandinggrief.com and I'll happily chat with them. Okay, understandinggrief.com. And you're on Clubhouse, right? I am. Yes, I will be there in a few moments,
0: Karen. (laughs) (laughs) I need to let you get to your room. (laughs) So if someone wants to follow you on Clubhouse and find out when you're doing a room, they can follow you there and
1: just mark that little bell next to your name and they'll be notified when you go live. That's right. They can find me on Instagram under Author. I don't know why I chose that name, but there we have it. (laughs) and be author yes it could be Instagram. because i've authored a book and that was my my handle when i was promoting the book and i just carried on i didn't go in and redo it so there we have it
0: Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed the conversation. I know we could go on and on and on. (laughs) This this is a topic that's near and dear to both of us. It
1: is indeed. It was a blessing and I cannot thank you enough for reaching out and inviting me. So thank you, Karen, and all the best with your clubhouse room because I believe you too are heading there.
0: We do. Yeah. Yeah. Very well. Thank you so much, Anne. We'll talk soon. Be well. Absolutely. Bye-bye. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally.